Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby, standing for truth, justice, and the American way, bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. This is John Katsimatidis, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. I need a weekend off. We uh, The studio is loaded today, even though it's a Friday. We have a couple of common sense uh Democrats, we have Judge Richard Weinberg, we have Governor David Patterson, and a couple of common sense Republicans. Even though it's a Friday, we have uh, <laughs> State Chairman State Chairman Ed Cox. Hey, Republicans like Friday also. Come on, John. Okay. It's not summertime yet. And Tony Corbinetti, <laughs> former Chief of Staff to uh, Rudy Giuliani. And I'm joined here with Rita Cosby, and I understand uh, we have... Uh, one powerful individual on the line right now. We sure do. We have former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Uh, Mr. Secretary, it's such an honor to have you back here on Cats and Cosby. We love you. Rita, it's great to be with you. John, it's great to be back. I like weekends, too. It's all good. Yes, all good. <laughs> now, Mr. Secretary, you were CIA director. You were Secretary of State. There's nobody better to talk to about what the heck is going on. Uh, in the world with all, with all the revelations coming out. Oh, goodness. John, where do you want to start? Do we have an hour? In, in, your fair, in your fair city there in New York, we now know that the Chinese Communist Party was operating a uh, police station where they were harassing mostly American citizens of Chinese uh, origin, uh, Chinese ethnicity, uh, reminding them that, you know, they knew where their family was back home and making clear to them that the Chinese Communist Party was watching them incredibly closely, and, and frankly, things worse, too. Uh, this is I'm glad the Biden administration has now indicted a couple of folks, but this problem is much bigger than I think the American people have been aware of, and to have them do this to the American people inside of our own country is another violation of American sovereignty that the Biden administration has allowed to continue. They're running their own intelligence. Uh, I understand it's more than one city. I think there was about four or five cities, some people were saying. So they've announced four or five cities. My guess is we're going to find out that there are even more. This is this is really a, a big project, an at-scale project that the Chinese Communist Party has ramped up. John, you'll remember, Rita, you will too, that when I was Secretary of State, they were running a spy ring out of Houston, Texas, out of the Chinese consulate, a diplomatic facility in Houston, Texas. And we, we shut it down, uh, putting their program on its back seat for a couple of years, but clearly now building it back and harassing Americans which is completely unacceptable to allow another country to operate their intelligence service, their police service inside of our country is something I don't think we've ever seen before and something I, I hope that uh, both uh, state governments, local governments, and the federal government will take with a level of seriousness that that presents to each of us. Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, Mr. Cox, uh, you have a few Mr. questions. Secretary, uh, you were out on the campaign, got in shape, you got out on the campaign trail, you've been out there for what, almost two years? 
What do you think the temperament of the of the people are? You, you must have a really good feel for it. What's going on in the country? You know, there is enormous uh, concern, uh, concern that uh, kids are, are learning garbage in our schools, uh, parents trying to take back that capacity to make sure the kids learn that this isn't a racist nation. Uh, there's real concern that the government continues to grow and spend money that it doesn't have, taking away future opportunities for the next generation. When I when I was out talking to folks, they could see they could see this, and then they hear some of this noise uh, around, right? That then there's more than two genders, right? They, they common sense tells them these things are setting our country back, and they feel that it it's they're they're losing the capacity to to take care of their family and practice their faith in the way they want to, and they are scrambling to try and ask the simple question: What can they do? What can what can I do? I get asked this every time I go out. Uh, what can I do to help bring this back? to a place that we all know it's, it's less partisan than you might imagine. This isn't really about Republican, Democrat. It's about common sense. And how do we build this country back to the place where American greatness was respected? And we knew that this was an important country and we were all so privileged to be a part of. And uh, Mr. Secretary, I have to ask you also, there's been so many headlines about Tony Blinken and Mike Morrell. Um, again, as John so eloquently said, uh, who better? You know so much of these positions. And as being former Secretary of State, former CIA, your thoughts about all of that vis-a-vis the Hunter Biden laptop stuff? So this is really bad. Uh, it's, it's really bad in the following sense. So, uh, you know, it's a little complicated, but former acting director of the CIA, Mike Morrell, was asked by uh, now Secretary of State, then someone on the campaign, uh, uh, Tony Blinken, now Secretary Blinken, was basically said, hey, this laptop that, that contained all kinds of stories, uh, emails about uh, the Biden family receiving money from foreign governments. And in literally on October 15th, think three weeks before the election, uh, Blinken calls Morrell and says, hey, can you guys can you guys write a letter that says that this might be Russian information, disinformation? And they did. And, you know, the perfect the intention was clearly to promote Joe Biden and to convince the American people for a few weeks that this wasn't real. And then President Biden uses that letter to go on to debate and say, hey, this is just Russian disinformation, when they knew, they knew this wasn't true. Uh, this is something we got to find more about, exactly how that happened. But for three weeks, the American people were denied the ability to really see what had happened, that the Biden administration was taking money from foreign governments and form a judgment about that in the run-up to the election. I don't know that we've ever seen anything quite like this in our country before, Rita. Judge Weinberg? Mr. Secretary, it's Judge Richard Weinberg, sir. I think, as as a House Democrat, as I looked at that, I said, that will turn the election against Trump and in favor of Biden. And I believe that, in fact, it did turn the election, because a lot of people have said they have known that this was a true laptop, and it really did contain that information, they would have voted differently. What do you say about that? Oh, goodness, you know, we'll never know. (laughs) And we'll never know because the Biden campaign clearly did not want us to know, right? So not only did they not want us to know, but they were effective at that. So they were successful. There was a New York Post article that was now proven 100% factually accurate, and they used this to refute that, uh, to, to, to do that, for a campaign to do that. Uh, is indecent and certainly changed the information base upon which so many voters went to the election that day. You know what? How many voters would have changed their minds, what they would have seen, how they would have evaluated these emails? I think that's hard to know, but we do know this. The Biden administration was very concerned 
that it would cost them the election. And they did everything they could to make sure the American people wouldn't have that information in their hands. Well, and put the posts aside, Mr. Secretary, in the Wall Street Journal, the mainstream media just took off with this, that story. Did they not from the intelligence uh, folks, 50 of them who signed that letter? Yeah, look, there were 51 people, various walks of life from the intelligence and defense and national security communities, all of whom implied that this was Russian disinformation when I think any, uh, you know, mid-level analyst would have said, nope, this doesn't fit that model. This is real. And I think we all would have been able to see that and would have been able to evaluate that information in a way that we just simply couldn't, given what the Biden campaign did. And you know what's interesting, uh, Mr. Secretary, too, I think about that famous moment in the debate um, where, you know, he kind of happened to have it at the top of his head, President or uh, candidate Joe Biden at the time, saying, oh, there's this letter. I mean, he absolutely it was created for it that was, moment. It was created for that moment. That that, I think, is why it's so stunning to the American public. Don't you think, Mr. Secretary? A hundred percent. No, this was all deeply planned. He was he knew that he was going to be on the debate stage in just a few days. He knew he was going to get asked about this, and he needed a place to land, a place to hide, a place to cover up. And this letter, created by his campaign, worked on by his campaign, uh, structured by his campaign, was that refuge. Uh, it, it is, it is, this is why I say I've not seen anything like this before in an election cycle where a campaign was so effective about giving the actual candidate a place to convey things they knew weren't true. President Biden knew it wasn't too true when he said it as well. So he was careful. He says, oh, there's this letter. He knew. He knew his team had rigged that letter. To use uh, Morell's language, the former acting director of the CIA, had triggered that letter, created it from scratch, and gave President Biden the easy out uh, that the American people saw on the debate stage and then said, well, goodness, it must be Russian disinformation, hoping that it would change the way Folks went to the well, those intelligence folks. They weren't dumb. There were weasel words at the bottom of that letter. But the me, they knew the media would run right over those weasel words. That in fact, so well, <laughs> it's sort of they they hedged a little uh, bit on what they said at the front uh, of the letter. Absolutely, no, no, no. They they can point to saying, oh no, we didn't say it was. We just said it consistent with or looks like that. The earmarks. The earmarks. The earmarks. Yeah, but by the way, exactly. Mr. Secretary, no one has ever been held accountable for that up until this yeah, point. No. I am hoping I'm hoping that we will see hearings uh, that bring all these people. Morell apparently spoke to them in private. We ought to we ought to hear in publicly precisely what happened, how it came down, so the American people can evaluate. You know what what was that President Biden was up to? Why was he up to it? And what is the full scope of the money that's changed hands between foreign governments and the Biden family over really, frankly, the last decade? And uh, former Governor uh, David Patterson, you got a question for Secretary of State Mike Pompeo? Well, when I first saw the, the debate and saw the letter, I believed the letter but when i realized there were 51 names on it even at that time i thought wow that's overkill like you know there's got to be a real reason that they, <laughs> that's a lot of names to put on a letter if you had three or four good names it, it, it would have sounded more credible yeah look they were they were clearly they were clearly at deceit and at its core president biden built this so that he could deceive the american people during that debate and last 21 more days before anybody could actually suss this out and find out what happened. And it's only really in these last few days that we now know the sequence of events that surrounded the creation of that letter, although we have known that that letter was intentionally misleading at the time it was written. Uh, Mr. Secretary, there's so many problems in the world. Uh, we have a couple of minutes left. What would you like to tell the American people? Because the American people are really concerned at this point. At this point. So what we're going to see in the coming weeks 
uh, even more illegal traffic across our border as as Title 42 is eliminated and individuals all across the world see that the border is even more wide open now starting in May than it, than it has been for these two years where it's been pretty wide open. I, I'm afraid, John, that we're going to see more fentanyl traffic. Uh, we're going to see more uh, terrorists come across the border and we're going to see the number of people coming into this country illegally that are uh, destined for bad things to commit crimes and worse. I, I'm afraid that uh, when we're on this station a month from now, we're going to think that the numbers we saw over the first year were just child's play. I expect that number to ramp up dramatically and risk to America will ramp up dramatically as a result of it as well. Yeah. When, uh, Mr. Secretary, when you bring up fentanyl, I think China, uh, you gave as Secretary of State a really strong speech about China at the Nixon Library. Has your view changed since that speech? No, um, if anything, I, I probably left out a few risks that are associated with the Chinese Communist Party. And this, the administration, while they've gotten some things right on China, and I always try to credit them when they do, uh, they, they haven't fully yet grasped the scope of the challenge that we face. It is um, the police stations, the balloon, the virus, the things that they've done here in our homeland, wholly apart from what they might do in Taiwan, and how they treat their own people, right, holding a million-plus folks in what amounts to internment camps in the western part of the country. Uh, Those are risks that are real and accelerating, and we've not done enough to protect the American people from this threat. So those remarks in the spring of 2020 uh, that I gave at the Nixon Library, I think, captured uh, essentially what Xi Jinping has done, not only to his own people, but now seeking to do to everyone all across the world. He, He seeks dominance around the world. And he is making real progress on that. And the only one that could push back on them in a serious way is a coalition led by the United States of America. Mr. Secretary, have a great weekend. Pray for Thank you. Pray John, for our Rita, people. everyone. Have a great Thank weekend. You. Thank you, Mr. Thank Secretary, you. so much. We're going to take a break right now, and we're going to come back with Larry Kudlow to see how the heck the economy is going and what the heck is going on. And uh, we'll see you after the break. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katz and Rita Cosby. Katz and Cosby on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Katz and Cosby. This is Rita Cosby with the John Katz great, great leader of the helm who, uh, is on. He has another book signing. This guy is busy as heck. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen how many? You've, you've done a book and this yeah. guy is like, he, it is a bestseller. It's flying off the shelves. You bet. He's got to do a lot of science. Keep <laughs> uh, those people happy out there. Absolutely. And everybody wants to I hear wanna, from I him. I want to see him, want to hear him. Yeah. And he had a big one yesterday, by the way, at the Harvard Club, too, which was a huge success. Um, still with us in studio here, we have Judge Richard Weinberg. We have Tony Carbonetti. We also have Ed Cox. And we have former New York Governor David Patterson. And joining us now to talk about economy, and boy, is there a lot going on, is the great Larry Kudlow. He has the big top show there on Fox Business, also a big top show on Saturdays on WABC Radio. Larry, we are thrilled to have you. Fill us in on what's going on in the economy now. How did uh, how did John do with all those left, left-wing Harvard people? <laughs> he did. By the way, it was, he actually, you know what, John, as you know, he puts everybody on. He was a huge success. Hey, Larry, Ed Cox, they still want to make a billion apiece. So. <laughs> exactly. You know, uh, I, I spoke at the Harvard Club a while back. Uh, it's a tough crowd. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I don't know that Princeton would be any better, but Harvesting was a tough crowd. And now we, we all have to go to this left-wing press thing tomorrow night. Because of John. I'm going only because of John. What is it? That's right. It's, it is the inner circle, and it's, it is all the different New York media, so I get to see you in a tuxedo. So that's a good thing, Larry. These are these are David Patterson's friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, they'll all be happy to see all of you there. <laughs> <laughs> He's approved. Sure they will. Sure they will. I'm going to wear a baseball uniform. <laughs> Well, I'll say one thing, Rita. We got out, uh, I think, for the economy, the best news was the Republican House, uh, Kevin McCarthy, got out a very good budget plan, okay? A very good budget plan, um, which will uh, cap spending. It's going to save about $4.5 trillion. Um, this coming year, it'll save about $150 billion. And, he, and the not, I just had Maya McGinnis on our TV show uh, the Committee for Responsible Federal Budget. It's a nonpartisan group, and she's a tough scorekeeper, but she said good things about it. So it's a very good start. But the problem is President Biden, you know, demeaned it. He insulted it. He called it wacko and MAGA and all this other garbage. And he's got to negotiate. His, you know, people in his own party are telling him they, they may not like McCarthy's plan. Okay, I understand that. But the Democrats in the House and the Senate, Joe Manchin, they're saying the president has got to start to negotiate. He must, because the debt ceiling is going to come a little sooner than people thought, because the April tax returns, which is the biggest month of the year, obviously, are coming in short so far on a daily basis. We can see it in the daily Treasury statement. So the president has got to stop all this gibberish. Stop this silly nonsense and negotiate. He has, it's been 78 or 79 days since he last talked to Kevin McCarthy, and that is just wrong. It is totally irresponsible, and he is risking a debt default by not talking. So where wow. do you see it coming together, Larry Kudlow? Well, I don't know. I mean, look, you know, it'll take – I've been through this many times uh, in my Washington career, and – it, it, it'll take weeks and weeks, Rita, to hammer out a deal. Look, there is going to be spending cuts associated with an increase in the debt ceiling. Okay, we're going to pay the debt. There's no question about that. Even without a deal, there'll be enough uh, money, believe me, to pay the uh, debt. So people listening shouldn't fret about that. If you own treasury bills or treasury bonds, you're going to be fine. But the point is, you know, you can't do this overnight. This will take weeks and weeks. So we're coming in, whatever today is, April 20-something. You know, we're coming into May. And I think by June, the uh, Treasury is going to run out of money. And uh, they got to make a deal. It, it will take four, five, six weeks to hammer something out. You know, you got the House Republicans, okay. But the Senate is, is Democrat, obviously. And then you got the White House. Uh, and so far, uh, you know, Chuck Schumer is echoing the same thing. He's, he's calling it MAGA and this and that. Come on. They, they know they're going to have to negotiate. They're being silly. They're being very irresponsible. And, um, and, uh, they should get on the stick. They're yeah. Everything is, everything's MAGA this, MAGA that. Uh, Governor David Patterson has a question for you, Larry Kudlow. Larry, why do you, why did the April taxes come in as short as they did? I, I just didn't see any reason why that would happen. Well, that's a good question. That's an important question, Governor. 
Um, and I don't know all there is to know. You know, we look at if you do these things over time, you know what to follow. So you get a daily reading. It's called the daily Treasury statement. It gives you their cash position. I think uh, I think it's because the economy is getting weaker and weaker. That's what I think. I think personal incomes are slowing down. I know that corporate profits are falling right now. Uh, they fell in the fourth quarter, and it looks like they're falling uh, in the first quarter, ended March 30th. Um, that's a, corporate profits are a relatively small piece, but um, I think mostly personal incomes are getting slow. I think the economy is getting very slow. So at the moment, without knowing full facts, uh, that's my hunch. And uh, Larry Kudla, I got to ask you, uh, this was stunning to me. You were on fire this week on Fox News. I was watching you on this one when it came out that the Biden administration's plan is basically to punish people with good credit uh, to subsidize those with risky credit for mortgages. This is amazing. Tell us about this. And and is this going to happen? I mean, this to me, Judge Weinberg, we were talking about this is shocking. Yeah, this is a very bad story. Uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, it's especially Fannie Mae, which is the government housing finance agency. And they're responsible for about 60, 65 percent of the mortgages. So they've come up with this plan. You know, this is vintage left wing Biden stuff. Uh, Successful middle income people who worked hard, play by the rules, saved up a nest egg. They put down 15 to 20 percent for a home, which is a very good thing. And if they rebuilt their credit scores, you know, their FICA credit scores to 680 or better, they are going to face higher mortgage rates and more fees, more points at signing so that people that don't qualify for FICA and people that don't put a good down payment on will be able to get some kind of credits and they can buy a home that they probably can't afford. So in other words, they're punishing success and they're rewarding non-success. This this is a very bad thing. This is, you know, this is this big government socialism at its worst. This is punishing successful people. I mean, and by the way, this will not affect wealthy people or rich people. Rich people don't care, okay? They just buy the house. This is middle-income people who have worked hard to rebuild their position, sometimes going all the way back 15 years, you know, to the meltdown in 2008. They've rebuilt their credit scores. Or from COVID, where everybody was out of work for a while. They rebuilt their COVID scores. They can put 20% down to buy an apartment or buy a home. They are going to be penalized by the government. This is just the worst thing I've ever seen. Larry, it's Richard Warmberg. Couldn't it be said that this is the great American disincentive program? Yes. Look, that's well put. (laughs) Owning your own home is the American dream. Okay, and again, I'm not talking about the wealthiest people. I'm talking about middle class people, blue collar workers, et cetera, et cetera. I'm even talking about lower middle income people. Okay, a lot of people are employed now, so that's a good thing. So if you save for the American dream, which is to own your own home, raise a family in your own home, they are penalizing that American dream. I've never seen anything this bad. Now, go back 15, 20, 25 years. Fannie Mae was always trying to help low-income people. All right? That's fairly democratic policy, almost bipartisan. It didn't work because, you know, when, when crunches come, 
they wind up uh, defaulting. So that was one of the issues back in 2008. Look, taxpayers had to finance $191 billion bailout of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac because they made such bad investments in mortgages by low-income people. So here they go again. They're messing with this again, only this time, not only are they making bad investments in low-income people, they're actually penalizing middle-class people who saved up for a nest egg in a house. It's unbelievable. It's it is. unbelievable. It is shocking. Larry, we love you, the great Larry Kudlow. And, of course, we're going to be listening tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. to 1 on WABC Radio. Also, Thanks. the great Fox Business Show. And we'll see you tomorrow night, right, Larry, in Thank a tux? You. I'm afraid so. <laughs> the Governor Patterson's oh, Larry, be it won't be that bad. I'll buy you a drink. Hi, <laughs> uh, Coke. Buy yes, I know. I know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see you tomorrow night. We can't wait, Larry. You're getting us in trouble here. Everybody stay with us. Lou Dobbs now. And then after that, we're going to talk about marijuana in New York. Your commuting home with Katz and Cosby. Now, here's John Katz and and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Katz and Cosby. We're going to be talking about marijuana in New York. We smell it everywhere in just a second. And also, we have Senator Al D'Amato coming up on the show, uh, who's never boring. And boy, is there a lot to talk about on crime. Lori Lightfoot trying to blame prosecutors and judges, not her soft on crime policies. And, you know, Tony Carbonetti, um, real quick, we were talking about Biden running. It looks like he's going to announce next week real fast. Yeah, I don't get I heard he's doing it by video, which I don't understand. When was the last time someone had a really big, exciting announcement I'll be releasing a video later on about that. Well, maybe that's why he's doing the announcement on video. It's not going to be exciting. Judge real quick. Is it being shot in the basement? (laughs) Just like COVID? (laughs) COVID continues, right? COVID. I mean, where's your crowd? Where are your supporters? We've got a video we'll be sending out to you. Don't worry about it. If you look at the polls, maybe you understand why he's doing it on video. Obvious. Well, everybody, uh, one of the issues, of course, is marijuana that will be talked about on the campaign trail. And joining us now to talk about all of this here on Cats and Cosby is David Gerber. He is an addiction specialist. He's president of Sober at Home. He's also a fervent opponent of legalized cannabis. Yesterday was 420. It was sort of, uh, if you call it the, you know, unofficial holiday for pot smokers and everybody was talking about it. David Gerber, um, please knock some sense into this. To me, it is crazy. We were just talking before the show. Everywhere you walk in New York, you smell it everywhere. I don't care what time of day. It's morning. It's night. There is so much pot and a lot of times it's homeless people smoking. I mean, it is, it is crazy what we're seeing down the streets today and not smell it and not potentially get a contact high. And it's important that people understand that this is not your parents' marijuana. This is not an all-natural substance. You know, when people were smoking back in the 60s and 70s, you know, the THC level, the, the, the part that gets you high in marijuana was around 1% to 5%. The THC content in marijuana today is well over 90% in certain concentrated forms, which poses all kinds of problems for people. So it's not a day to be celebrated. It's a day to uh, to have a call to action, a day of education and warning. Wait, 
You just said 90%. We all kind of gasp in the studio. At 90%, that is an enormous percentage of strength. Sure. Trying to compare today's marijuana to the marijuana of your parents and grandparents is like the difference between, you know, you were talking to Larry Kudlow about going to a party tomorrow and buying him a drink. Well, it's the difference between taking a sip of wine and chugging tequila. That's the difference between today's <laughs> marijuana and the marijuana of yesterday. Governor Patterson, I think you got a comment on that. I'm sure you do. Well, I think the this problem is one that really didn't get noticed until the last 10 or 15 years. And by then, most states had legalized it. I think a lot of states eventually are going to get to the point where they're going to have to think it over. Well, you take a look at the states that legalize marijuana, and this is before COVID. This is before even fentanyl came on the scene. You know, in states with legal marijuana laws, it's this simple. Crime is up. Violent crime is up. Opioid use is up. Overdoses are up. Uh, suicide rates are up for people uh, involved uh, in using marijuana, car crashes and car fatalities, all up in states that have legalized marijuana. And for every dollar that we generate in tax revenue for marijuana, the states end up spending four and a half dollars trying to treat and counter uh, counteract the effects of the legalization. And uh, Judge Weinberg? Uh, Mr. Gerber, I ran the special narcotics courts for about six or seven years in Manhattan in state Supreme Court. And the great lesson I learned presiding there was that marijuana is a gateway drug to other drugs. What are your comments about that? There are a lot of marijuana proponents that say that's nonsense. But the truth is that uh, people that use marijuana are four times more likely to go on and abuse other opiates. So it is a gateway drug. It's always been a gateway drug. And and the impact, now that we're seeing uh, it legalized, we're seeing a 1,375% increase in the number of children that are being seen in hospitals for uh, illnesses related to ingesting marijuana edibles. So it's affecting teens. It's affecting kids. We have marijuana lobbyists and proponents that are saying it's good for pregnant women and, and nausea. And the reality is that everything that, you know, everything that the mother puts into their body gets passed on to the, ch- to the child. And they're seeing the impacts of marijuana use uh, for children uh, uh, in the womb 10 years later in terms of uh, depression, anxiety, attention deficit. So it's not safe. You know, the Surgeon General in 2019 said that no amount of marijuana is safe for any teen or pregnant woman. So David Ed Cox here. So you mentioned uh, 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 alcohol drinks. Now, every alcohol, bottle of alcohol drink, it has a percent of alcohol that's in it. You know what it is. You know what you're drinking. How do you measure marijuana? I mean, how does a trooper, when they arrest someone who's weaving or whatever, and how do you, how can you actually measure what his level of, uh, call it intoxication, whatever, his high is, uh, in a way that well, you he, can, in, in fact, uh, bring the law down on him? Well, here's part of the problem. You know, uh, testing is difficult. Um, and, and the fact that marijuana is different than alcohol, it gets stored in the body different than alcohol, um, poses a higher risk for people that are on the roads. In fact, uh, people are, that are driving under the influence of marijuana are two to three times more likely 
to get uh, into a car crash. And because marijuana is stored in the fat cells and it stays in your system longer, there have been studies that have shown that marijuana can impair driving uh, a day later, two days later, wow. and one study even up to three weeks later. So, you know, trying to figure, imagine you get on a plane, you know, and your pilot says, don't worry, you know, I didn't smoke marijuana today. I smoked it yesterday. Well, marijuana impairs cognitive ability, decision-making. It produces anxiety and depression. People are using it for anxiety and depression and finding out that uh, they no longer have the coping skills to deal with those issues on their own. And so they become addicted to marijuana and their anxiety and depression in the long term gets worse. All right. Well, David Gerber, thank you so much for being with us. This was really eye-opening and so important after this Unofficial uh, pot day, 420. By the way, uh, the spokesperson looked like John Fetterman. He was putting out social media, standing in front of a 420 sign. Uh, all right. Thank you very much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Such important information. Thank you, sir. And, of Thank course, uh, Gabe, uh, Gerber was just saying, David Gerber was talking about how the correlation between uh, pot and crime that he saw in major cities. Well, crime was a huge issue today, and especially in Washington, D.C. I thought I was hearing things. Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, just said the reason crime is up is prosecutors and judges are letting these people out. I thought, wait a minute, is this the same woman who a few days ago said what mayhem when teens were shooting and pulling people out of buses and cars? Uh, are the Democrats trying to do spin, spin, spin? Well, joining us now to talk about this and a lot more is the great former New York Senator Al D'Amato here on Cats and Cosby. And Senator, uh, what are your thoughts about Lori Lightfoot actually blaming crime in Chicago, saying the revolving door is because of judges, it's because of prosecutors, not her soft on crime policies? <laughs> well, let, let me say... Even those people who have contributed to the problems because they did not have adequate police staffing because she cut back on it for so many years, um, sometimes get it right. And she is right when she blames those judges and those prosecutors who do not do their job, who do not hold uh, people who are dangerous uh, 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 to the community. And, and the state legislature in New York, they are criminals. Why? Because if you don't give the judge, and we are the only state in the country that does, that, uh, does not permit the judges to hold people who they believe are dangerous to the community, then something is wrong with you. Wrong with your brain. Get off it. Don't you have the nerve? those in the Democratic Party to stand up to the left wing? Or are you afraid that you won't get your chairmanship or that they'll run a primary against you? But God's sake, stand up for people, the people who are being savaged on our streets. Make sure judges are held accountable. Give them the ability to hold people who they perceive to be dangerous, okay? That, that that's just common sense. Yeah, one thousand percent. The biggest, the biggest crime of all is what's taking place at our borders. And I tell you, Joe Biden should be impeached. Forget about going after the the guy who is in charge of the border. It's the president, and it's his policies and his refusal to see to it that the borders are secure. You know, let me say this to you. 
Um, and, and he is by no means a saint. But when Donald Trump was president, at least the border was secure. And the Democrats used to go down and there would be 100 plus children who were separated from their families. And, and they would take pictures and scream and yell. Well, do you know what? That's 12,000 a month now are coming into America and they are permanently 12,000 a month separated from their families under Biden's open border policies. But over 150,000 unaccompanied children each year are coming over the border and they're being officially processed by the border facilities. And by, by the way, Aldemater, did you see this story the other day that the Biden administration has lost track of 85,000 kids, unaccompanied oh, kids? That is a, a Car- Tony Carbonetti. Your thoughts on that? This is amazing. No, it's completely insane. What the senator said is right. There was at least the impression, if not the fact, that the border was secure, preventing people from going down there and trying to sneak in. You know, and, and, Biden and, opened the doors. Look at what you're so right, honey, and look at look at what they're doing. It's gotten so bad that Mayor Adams last week yes. complained that he has he has over fifty thousand uh, 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 people who came over to the border or are now in New York, and and that it's going to cost the city between four and five billion dollars. Now, Senator, imagine those border towns that aren't the size of New York City. How are they handling? How are they coping with it? Four to five billion dollars. And those kids have to go to schools. And the school taxes today for a child in the city is over $30,000 a child. And you've got tens of thousands of kids who are coming over. They're not citizens. Many of them unaccompanied, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we don't even talk about the weekly tonnage, and I'm saying tonnage, of drugs that are being smuggled in. Yeah, you hear about fentanyl, but do you hear about the cocaine in addition? Do you hear about all the other drugs in addition that are coming over? Do you hear about all the felons, felons who they catch, okay, who are come on, coming over? What about the felons that they don't keep? What about the spies that they don't get? Absolutely. I mean, this is incredible. No, you are this so right. Uh, Senator Aldemato, we love you. We appreciate you. And we appreciate how much you care about this country and security in this country. Thank you so much for being with us. The great Senator Aldemato. You have a good weekend. Thank you. I got it. Thank you very much. And by the way, we are now going to Florida because we have joining us now the great attorney general of Florida, Ashley Moody and uh, Attorney General, we have Judge Richard Weinberg. I think someone you know well here in studio. Uh, we also, yes. <laughs> we also, My fellow Judge. Yeah, there he is. Wait a minute. You, before I go forward, you know her a long time. I, I adore Ashley. I think she's the future of America. Yeah, she's great. By the way, she's got my boat. You are That's terrific. Right. I'm, I'm changing. I'm moving back down to my place in Bell Harbor and I'm voting Ashley for a governor, senator, and president. You are not allowed to leave New York like everybody else, Judge. You have to stay here. And we have also with us Tony Carbonetti, former chief of staff for Rudy Giuliani. We also have New York State GOP chairman, again, the great Ed Cox. And we also have with us 
former New York governor, David Patterson. Um, you know, first, uh, let me start, uh, if I could with you, uh, Madam Attorney General. We're so happy to have you here. You're so eloquent, I think, when I've seen you on TV all over the place. Tell us some about the big issues that are facing Florida and, and some of the overreach. Uh, that you're experiencing from the federal government. You guys have been fighting it tooth and nail, leading the good fight there in Florida. Oh, we really have. And first, let me just say, what an honor to be with such an esteemed panel. Thank you for the invitation. You know, folks are often confused by an attorney general role. They always want to know, besides the law enforcement component, you know, what else do you do? And you just nailed it. I thought you did a great job. I mean, part of a big part of our jobs is keeping the federal government from cramming down uh, and taking over what we want to set for our trajectory and the success in our own state. So it's protecting our autonomy. And I could go on and on about, and you've seen it, the liberal elites that are trying to cram down policies unlawfully into the state, trying to turn every state into a California. Uh, And Florida has been uh, pushing back. We certainly uh, say no to that. And, and I think, you know, one of the most recent things you've seen is they're trying to um, push down uh, EPA standards and, and, and make the emission standards so tight that all the automobiles are going to have to, in a very speedily manner, uh, be all electric. Uh, and so while certainly the federal government has no ability to mandate all electric vehicles, anytime they use their rules and regulations through these agencies, it creeps down into our states. And so we are forever pushing them back out uh, and trying to keep Florida on the trajectory of success that it is on. And everybody, we are talking to uh, the great attorney general of Florida, Ashley Moody. Uh, Judge Weinberg, I know you got a good question for her. So, so Ashley, I'm very concerned about this mandate, this EPA mandate about, about the admissions, because fundamentally what they're saying is if you don't meet these admissions, you have to either – produce more electric cars, or alternatively, stop manufacturing gas-driven cars. So they're imposing on 81% of the American population when only 19% of the folks want electric cars. Isn't there a good lawsuit out of that, Ashley? Well, let me just let me just put this in perspective, too, for your listeners. You know, again, this is another example of folks that have a whole bunch of money and a whole bunch of radical ideas about how our country uh, should be and, and should be run, cramming it down through these agencies, these unelected bureaucrats and agencies. This is just a great example. And they do not care about the consequences. If, if, if these folks can afford it, certainly everybody else in America should be able to afford it. And it's just not true. These EV vehicles, the average cost is $65,000. That is more than half of our population's total yearly income. And they want to do this so quickly. There is absolutely no way the average American is going to be able to afford this. So they're going to make things more expensive for the average American. And they just don't care. I mean, you've seen all of the examples and policies they're trying to cram down, and they don't care how it affects the average American. Look what they've done to the energy supply and the supply chains and what that's done to our pocketbooks. I mean, it's just incredible the just the ignorance they have for what everyday face folks face, and they just don't care about the consequences with these radical policies. And and actually, the problem with uh, this vision of having all electric cars is number one, 
They're not safe because they do blow up and the fires emit this toxic uh, fumes. And then the spontaneous generation of a second explosion on these cars is a threat to the EMS workers going in. They're, uh, they're substantially weightier. The electric cars are especially weightier on the public highways, Ashley, than the regular gas-driven cars. So that causes an impact on, on our roads. What do you say about and, that? And where the batteries well, made. Oh, oh, but yeah, Tony Carbonate is exactly right. And where are they made? They're made in our enemy, China's homeland. And all the. Right, uh, again, consequences be damned, right? Do they care that they're giving more control and, and we'll have to be more reliant on, on a foreign country? I mean, I think 80% of the. I think China controls 80% of the batteries that are needed. Because they control the rare earth elements to make them. We, we, exactly, we've left them corner of the market. Consumers. Bad for mobility, bad for national security. And think of a state like Florida. We, we routinely have weather emergencies where we're having to mass evacuate large portions of our state. A lot of times the electrical grids go down. I mean, it, it, this, the way that they are trying to rush this through without thinking through the effects of policy is just par for the course with this administration because let's face it. They are President Biden is reliant on, and I'll say that again, is reliant on radical handlers that are pretty much controlling this country through these agencies. Yeah, and we see it. You're right. We see it more and more. And um, and everybody, we're speaking to Florida's Attorney General Ashley Moody. We just have about a minute and a half left or so, but we have Governor David Patterson, former New York Governor, a Democrat here in the studio. We let him in, all right? (laughs) Um, And he has a question for you. We love it. (laughs) So, Madam Attorney General, at the beginning of the conversation, I was kind of fascinated. You started to go into talking about what your role actually is. And what you can do to combat these problems, I was wishing you'd uh, go a little further with that. Yeah, I mean, I was listening to you guys talk about some of the policies that have been implemented at the border and how it's affecting all of the states. You know, Florida was the first to uh, get a trial victory from a federal judge who said, it is true what everybody has been saying. Biden is ignoring federal law. He's ignoring the public safety statutes that are meant to keep this country safe. Uh, he has turned this border into nothing more than a, a speed bump. Uh, and so, you know, we routinely are bringing suit as it relates to the border. One of our first actions was when the, the, the president and his agency started releasing those here illegally committing crimes. And I'm telling you, on both sides of the aisle, presidents and their agencies were deporting those folks and not releasing them back. So... This is a continuous problem. Florida will keep pushing back, and I appreciate you highlighting our great state. You are welcome anytime, Madam Attorney General Ashley Moody of the great state of Florida. Thank you for being with us. We really appreciate it. Come back soon. And everybody, what do we stand for here on Cats and Cosby? Truth, Truth, justice, and the American way. way.